Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 78 of the show. Uh, definitely another playoff-heavy episode for you. It's a good one. we got lots to get into. We've officially reached the NBA Finals, uh, so we'll uh, recap how the Eastern Conference Finals concluded, and we'll do a full uh, preview from every angle at the uh, NBA Finals. Uh, the NHL has reached their conference finals, so we'll look at uh, recap how the second round series finished out and uh, do a preview of the conference finals. Uh, of course, we'll do a standings update in Major League Baseball and uh, plenty to get into <clears throat> in uh, the PGA Tour as well. A couple different events to break down, uh, but that's actually where we're going to start. So uh, this past weekend's tournament was the Charles Schwab Challenge. That was at the Colonial Country Club. It's here in Fort Worth, Texas. It was a par 70. Distance was 7,209 yards. Uh, this tournament itself is the, the longest tenured non-major course on the PGA Tour circuit. This was 77th consecutive year that it's been on the PGA Tour schedule. Uh, this course was a <clears throat> it's a Maxwell-designed course, which is similar to the same uh, the, the same designer as Southern Hills, which is where we had seen the week before. That also played at a par 70. So pretty similar style of golf between the, the PGA Championship and then here again at uh, Colonial Country Club. But uh, the field with for this one was surprisingly good for the week after a major championship. We had five out of the top ten players in the world. Uh, a lot of other big-name players uh, played in this thing. Uh, but... In the end, uh, your winner was Sam Burns in a playoff hole over Scotty Scheffler. All right, both of them finished at nine under par. All right, and then they replayed the uh, the par four 18th hole. <clears throat> and uh, once they got up towards the green, uh, Burns left his uh, second shot on the fringe, uh, wasn't on the green. But he uh, he left it on the fringe, 38 feet away from the hole, and he ends up putting this thing from the fringe in the hole to win on a 38-foot birdie putt. Uh, interesting thing about this, Sam Burns had actually finished his round uh, about two hours prior to when this playoff hole took place. All right, so uh, Scheffler had just finished. He was in uh, one of the final groups there, Scotty Scheffler was. But Sam Burns had finished two hours before, so he had a lot of waiting to do. Uh, didn't look like he was going to be in a playoff. It looked like Scheffler was was going to um, probably win this thing outright. But Scheffler ended up shooting two over on Sunday, shot 72. Uh, Burns' best round was, was on Sunday. He shot a five under 65. 
Uh, he got progressively better, Burns did. He opened with a 71, which was one over, then went two under 68, three under 67, five under 65. So he got progressively better. Uh, Scheffler uh, had his worst round on Sunday. Uh, this was Sam Burns' third victory this season and fourth of his career. All right, so uh, he has been, he's now inside the top 10, the official world golf rankings. Uh, kid's been lighting it up. He's a terrific player. Uh, always seems to be in contention every week. And uh, this week uh, proved again why he is now inside the top 10. Now, interesting note about Scotty Scheffler. Immediately after that playoff hole, he went to a family member's wedding uh, right after the tournament ended. So he zipped over to the wedding and, and made it. And uh, I saw a picture on social media of him actually being at the wedding. So uh, pretty cool stuff. It pays to play at home. All right, Scotty Scheffler lives here in Dallas, so that's why he was able to do that. Uh, but like I said, Burns and Scheffler both finished at 9-under. Burns is your winner. Scheffler solo second. Brendan Todd finished solo third at 8-under. Uh, he shot a 5-under 65 on Saturday, but then went 1-over 71 on Sunday. Uh, Three-way tie for fourth at 7-under. Tony Finau, Davis Riley, and Scott Stallings. All right. Um, Tony Finau, good to see him back up there. He he closed out on Saturday and Sunday with a pair of 67s, so a uh, good weekend for Finau. Davis Riley just continues to be a very impressive rookie. He opened with a pair of 67s, uh, closed with a 70 and 69, so good weekend for him. And then Scott Stallings actually shot three under 67 on Thursday and then shot six under 64 on uh, Friday, which was one of the lower rounds, might be the lowest round we saw here this weekend. So impressive stuff there for Stallings. Uh, there was a five-way tie for seventh at five under. Kevin Na, Jordan Spieth, Mito Pereira, Patrick Reed, and Cam Davis. All right, you'll see some big names in there. Obviously, Mito Pereira had his collapse last week at the PGA, uh, but he's back in the top seven. Jordan Spieth uh, playing at home as well. Uh, didn't shoot anything worse than 70 all weekend, even par, so uh, he played well. Uh, pretty good leaderboard for this thing. Um, some bigger names up there, guys that you would expect to see. So uh, that was a good tournament, and... Um, you know, like I said, Colonial Country Club is very nice. Uh, but this weekend, we moved to the Memorial Tournament presented by Workday. And that is at the Muirfield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Ohio. Par 72, distance 7,533 yards. All right, this is one of the more iconic courses on tour. Uh, it's been on the PGA Tour every year since 1976. So not quite as long as Colonial, but um, certainly long enough to uh, be a, a mainstay here on the schedule. It's known as the course that Jack built, of course, Jack Nicholas. This is one of his design courses. Uh, we've seen some major renovations to the course itself here over the past two years. Uh, they've done a lot of irrigation work. Uh, they've rebuilt some bunkers, reconstructed the greens. Uh, they resurfaced the tee boxes. They also added some length to the course. All right, so this thing looks completely different than it had been. 
a couple years ago. Uh, greens are super fast on this course, one of the faster greens on tour. So uh, proximity to the hole and putting are going to be very key this week. Uh, elite field for this one. All right, seven of the top ten golfers in the world are going to be out there. Uh, John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay. Uh, Cantlay won it last year in 2021 and in 2019. Uh, John Rahm won it in 2020. So Cantlay's won it two of the past three years here. Rahm is the other winner in the last three years. So certainly look for those two guys. Uh, Cameron Smith will be out there. Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, just to name a few. Uh, so a lot of, lot of good talent out there. Uh, the winner gets uh, a red cardigan. Uh, pretty pretty cool little thing there. But, um, you know, just uh, Memorial Tournament's always, it's competitive. It's a par 72, so we'll probably see some lower scores than we've seen the past two weeks. Uh, of course, 9-under uh, has been kind of the target the past couple of weeks there uh, between um, the Charles Schwab Challenge and the PGA Championship. Of course, Justin Thomas won the PGA, what, 5-under, so... Yeah, we haven't seen some very low scores the last couple weeks, but that's due in large part to the difficulty of the courses plus the par 70. So uh, we're back at a par 72. The course itself is gettable. Uh, It's just the greens are are really where the difference is going to be made. So uh, it'll be an interesting tournament. A lot of good golfers out there. Uh, I will certainly be tuned into this one this week, and uh, we will have to see how it plays out. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a playoff update here in the NHL. We have officially made it all the way through all of our second round series and made it to the conference finals. But before we can preview the conference finals, we got to recap how the rest of the second round series went. So in the Eastern Conference, last week we talked about how Tampa Bay had absolutely just demolished the Florida Panthers to win the Battle of Florida four games to none and sweep them. A very impressive win for Tampa in that series over the President Trophy winning Florida Panthers. So we already covered that. Uh, The Carolina Hurricanes New York Rangers series. Okay, when we last talked about it last week, Carolina was up three games to two in that series. All right, well, we had a couple of games over the weekend or since the last episode Game six was uh, at home for the Rangers, and they came out and just gave the Hurricanes an absolute dose. All right, it was three to nothing Rangers uh, just a few minutes into the second period. All right, so Carolina finally got on the board in the second. The Rangers answered that goal about two minutes later. All right, so Carolina just couldn't keep up. Uh, they each added another goal uh, later on in the game. The Rangers won game six, five to two, and even the series at three games apiece. Now, in that game, New York Rangers goalie Igor Shosturkin, he actually had two assists in the game, which uh, doesn't happen a whole lot. Goalies can get assists, but to have two assists in a game by the same goalie is, is very impressive. He's only the fifth goalie in NHL playoff history to have two assists in a game and is the first one since 2017 when Pecorine did it. So interesting stat there for Shesterkin. Uh Hurricanes on the Carolina side of things here. Uh, after this, so this was their 13th playoff game of the, of the year, all right? And the home team had won every game that Carolina had played in. Okay, they were undefeated at home and winless on the road 
through six games in this series. Okay, so game seven heads back to Carolina. Based on what I just told you, you had to believe Carolina was going to win. They were at home. They had not lost at home in the playoffs thus far. Uh, But that was certainly not the case. It was more New York domination. Uh, The Rangers got up four to nothing before the Hurricanes got their first goal, uh, which was about halfway through the third period. Um, The Rangers would add three more goals in the third, high scoring third period. Six to two was your final. The Rangers won, uh, won the series in seven games. So this was obviously Carolina's first loss at home this postseason. And it also snapped their streak of six consecutive Game 7 wins. We had mentioned that, uh, I think, a couple episodes ago after their first-round series uh, Game 7 win. Uh, That was their sixth consecutive Game 7 win. This would have been their seventh, but that obviously did not happen. Uh, The New York Rangers, uh, they were the first road team to win a game in this series. And, man, did they pick a good time to do it. And with that win, the Rangers became just the fourth team in NHL history to overcome multiple two-goal deficits in the same season. Right? If you recall, the Rangers were down three games to one against Pittsburgh in the first round, and then they won three straight to win the series. And then they began this series down 2 nothing against Carolina. So fourth team in NHL history to erase uh, multiple two-game deficits. <clears throat> So that's your Eastern Conference. That sets up the Eastern Conference of Tampa Bay and New York, and we'll preview that in a second. Okay, in the Western Conference, the Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues. All right, when we left off last week, we knew that Colorado was up three games to two in that series. All right, game six in this series was absolutely nuts. Uh, It was in St. Louis, all right. The teams traded goals in the second period uh, after the Blues had scored with a minute left in the first, all right? So the Blues had a one nothing lead going into the second. They traded goals in the second. And then about halfway through the third, uh, Colorado tied it up, all right? So it was 2-2, two to two, and we're getting down to the wire in this one. It looked like this game was on a crash course for uh, overtime. It, it just appeared that it was going that way. It was gridlocked, 2-2. Two to two. Uh, But then Colorado Avalanche forward Darren Helm, he had other plans because uh, with just under 10 seconds left, he skated into the zone on the left side. He just wired a wrister, uh, found the back of the net with 5.8 seconds left. So um, that gave the Avalanche a 3-2 to two lead, obviously, with five seconds left. <clears throat> that uh, was certainly enough to give them the victory in that game. That was a series-clinching goal there in that series. So Colorado won the series four games to two there, and um, they moved on to the Western Conference Finals. Now, uh, the other series in the West was the Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, We had already covered all of those games last week. That was the uh, Banana Land series that I talked about last week. Uh, Very impressive victory for the Oilers in that one. They won four games to one. Uh, Lots of scoring, a lot of goals in that series. Um, But that brings us to the conference finals. We will preview uh, the conference finals. Each of them have played one game as of this recording. Um, So we'll take a look at that as well. But the conference finals in the Eastern Conference, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers. All right. Uh, Tampa Bay, 
their road to get here. They beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in seven games and then swept the President Trophy winning Florida Panthers in four games. Very impressive stuff there uh, by Tampa. And then New York, uh, the Rangers road to get here. They have a pair of seven-game series under their belt, all right? They beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in seven games. And then, of course, we just talked about they beat the Carolina Hurricanes in seven games. So uh, they've had to come from down two games in each of those series. Um, But uh, looking at this preview, uh, Tampa Bay's had a little bit more rest, all right? It's been about a week since they've played a game. Uh, They might, you know, uh, I would, would expect them to come out a little flat, but uh, for the most part, um, Tampa Bay is just the better team, flat out. Um, you know, Nikita Kucherov, uh, Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, and then the best goaltender in the world, Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, New York better hope this thing doesn't get to a Game 7 because uh, last week we talked about Andre Vasilevsky's stats in series clinching uh, Game 7 wins there and uh, just super impressive now, on the New York Rangers side of things, they've been kind of, um, you know, they're they're fighting, all right? Panarin's, uh, Artemi Panarin's been really good. Um, Chris Kreider still scoring goals. He had 50 in the regular season. He's continuing that in the playoffs. And then uh, Philip Heedle from uh, the Rangers just continues to score goals. He's been on a a pretty good hot streak, and we'll hear his name here in a second. But looking at this series, both goaltenders, Igor Shosturkin for the Rangers, uh, he's a Hart Trophy finalist for league MVP, all right? So he's in the conversation for that. So they're both extremely good goaltenders. I'm going to give the edge to Tampa Bay. I think the Lightning are going to win this series in six games, all right? I just think that there's too much firepower for the Rangers. I think, um, you know, the rest that the Rangers – or that the Lightning have had is going to is gonna help them out as, the, as longer this series goes. And uh, so give me the Tampa Bay Lightning to win this series in six games. Now, I make that pick, made that pick before game one was played. Game one was played the other night. Uh, it was in um, New York, all right? Teams traded goals in the first period and in the early part of the second, all right? And then Philip Heedle, I just mentioned him, for the Rangers, got two goals about five minutes apart there in the second to put the Rangers up 4-2. to two. Uh, Rangers added a couple more in the third, got a 6-2 to two victory in game one. Very surprising win for the Rangers there in game one. Not surprising that they won, it's surprising that they won 6-2, to two. all right? It was their seventh straight home playoff win. So the Rangers are feeling it right now at Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, Tampa, they had a, like I said, they had about a week off cause they swept their second round series. So they came out a little flat, which is fine. They still don't have Braden point. I don't expect to see him back the rest of the playoffs, but, uh, lightning will rebound in game two for sure. And, uh, I certainly, uh, I'm putting my money on Tampa Bay to beat the Rangers in this series. Uh, over in the Western conference, it's the Colorado avalanche and the Edmonton Oilers. All right. Uh, McDavid versus McKinnon, two of the probably top three players in the league right now. Uh, Edmonton might have two of the top three players on their on their team by themselves with uh, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and then Colorado obviously with Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr. This is just a star-studded uh, conference finals. Lots of speed um, in this series. 
Colorado's road to get there, they beat the Nashville Predators. They swept them in four games. And then the St. Louis Blues, they took care of them in six games. On the Edmonton side of things, uh, they beat the Los Angeles Kings in seven games. And then they just beat the Calgary Flames in five games to get here. Uh, These have been the two highest scoring teams in the postseason thus far. Um, I think they both averaged like 4.3 and 4.2 goals a game coming into this series. Um, Like I just mentioned, uh, Colorado with uh, Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr, uh, those two, you know, elite young players. And then on the Edmonton side, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, um, just spectacular top-end talent in this series. Uh, and man, did we talked about high scoring. That really came to fruition here in game one. They've played one game in this series. I'm going to make my prediction now. I mean, I already made it, but just so you can hear it, I'm picking the Colorado Avalanche to win in seven games. Um, this series is going to go back and forth. All right. Um, uh, Colorado is probably the deeper team. They probably have better depth. Um, but as far as top end talent, especially up front, Boy, it's hard to argue with what the Oilers got. But uh, game one was just absolutely bonkers, all right? Um, we knew the offense was going to be there. It was 3-2 to two Colorado after the first period. So five goals in the first period, all right? we That's that's a high-scoring first period. And then uh, two goals, actually, in the last minute of that period, just nine seconds apart, all right? Crazy stuff there at the end of the first. Then... Colorado scored 14 seconds left. Basically, Colorado scored with 14 seconds left in the first to take that 3-2 lead into the intermission. Second period comes around. Colorado added a goal 32 seconds into the second period. So basically, with 14 seconds left in the first, they scored, and then 32 seconds into the second, they scored. All right, so it was 4-2. Colorado had another couple of goals just a minute and 40 seconds apart for a six-goal second period, all right? Heading into the third period, Colorado was up 7-4, to four, right? We had five goals in the first, six goals in the second. So we go into the third, Colorado's up 7-4, to four, which is just, that's preposterous by itself. Then Edmonton, they came out, got a couple of goals in the third to make it 7-6, to six, right? Why would you not? It's, it's just, you keep scoring, uh, no goaltending in this one. Uh, not sure the goalies played. Maybe they did. Uh, the shots were insane. It was, uh, you know, shots were damn near 50 to 40 when it was all said and done. Uh, so Edmonton, 7 to 6, trailing by a goal. Pulled the goalie late. Actually had a damn good chance to score. Uh, Leon Drysettle got stuffed at the top of the crease. Um, but. It almost went in, but Colorado took it down and buried it in the empty net to make it an 8-6 final score. Avalanche won game one, 8-6, so they're up 1-0 in the series. The 14 combined goals we saw in game one was tied for the second most goals all time in a conference final game, all right? And after this game, Edmonton uh, has taken the NHL postseason lead in goals scored with 58 and goals allowed with 45. So the Edmonton Oilers lead the NHL postseason this year in goals for and goals against, all right? So uh, if they could tighten it up on the back end, this series would be a lot easier for them because they can score goals, and they can keep up with Colorado, one of the very few teams that can do that. But 
Uh, they're going to have to tighten it down on the back end if uh, if they want to get get back in this thing. Uh, I mentioned those stars. They came out shining bright in the, in the first game here. Connor McDavid had a goal and two assists. Leon Dreisaitl, two assists. Nathan McKinnon had a goal and an assist. And then Kale McCarr had a goal and two assists for the Avalanche. So uh, the big dogs came out in game one. Uh, I sure hope every game is just like that because that was very fun to watch, um, watching all these guys go to work. But um, I picked Colorado in seven, Tampa in six on the eastern side of things. <clears throat> so we'll have to uh, check back in next week. I doubt the series will be complete by next week's episode, but we'll certainly get you recapped. Uh, we've already got one game in the books for each series, so uh, we will check in next week and see where we stand with these series. But we'll move over to the NBA and do a playoff update here in the NBA. We have officially reached the NBA Finals, but before we can preview that, uh, we got to get you caught up on how the Eastern Conference Finals ended because last week's episode we had talked about the Western Conference Finals already being over and how Golden State uh, beat Dallas four games to one in that series. Uh, so we knew that Golden State was going to be representing the Western Conference in the NBA Finals, but we did not know the Eastern Conference. That was to be determined. Uh, game six in that series between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat uh, was in Boston, all right? And uh, Boston had a chance to close out on their home floor. I had picked the Boston Celtics in six games in this series, uh, so I was hoping that that would work out. But Miami went into Boston, and uh, they they gave it everything they had. Uh, the game was close. They had eight lead changes in this one, back and forth. But uh, Miami's Jimmy Butler, he went absolutely nuts. Playoff career high, 47 points, including 17 in the fourth quarter. Uh, just carried the heat on his back in that fourth quarter. Now, interestingly enough, that 47-point outburst from Butler uh, was 10 years to the day after LeBron James scored 45 points in Boston in a game six in which Miami would end up winning it all that year. So that was a Miami Heat LeBron James scored 45 points in a game six in Boston 10 years to the day uh, that Jimmy Butler did that now uh, here 10 years later for Miami scoring 45, well, 47 points in a game six in Boston pretty impressive but uh the heat won the championship that year that butler did that so um uh that's not going to happen at least not this year miami won that game that butler scored 47 there in game six miami won 111 to 103 so that sent the series to a game seven game seven was uh back in miami they had a chance to win on their home floor but this game was all boston uh boston came out running uh, they outscored Miami 32-17 in the first quarter, including getting a lead up to a 17 at one point. Uh, Miami never led at any point in this game, and Boston's defense was absolutely stifling. They were on full display there. Uh, Jason Tatum led the way for the Celtics with 26 points en route to a 100-96 victory for the Boston Celtics. Now, that score would indicate that the game was much closer than it was, uh, Boston um, was was in control this whole time. Uh, but So the Celtics win Game 7 in Miami to advance to 
the uh, NBA Finals. Jason Tatum was named your Eastern Conference Finals MVP. He averaged 25 points a game in this series. Um, Very impressive. Of course, Steph Curry was your Western Conference Finals MVP, averaging uh, 23.8 points per game in that one. But uh, this victory in Game 7 for Boston moved them to 6-0 this postseason in games following a loss. All right, so if if you beat Boston, uh, you're not beating them the next game. They're 6-0 this year in that. And this was also the Boston Celtics' first Game 7 road victory as a franchise since 1974. Celtics have not won a Game 7 on the road uh, since 74. That seems like a long time. They've been in a lot of playoff games since then, uh, and it just seems kind of hard to believe that that's the case all right so that sets up the nba finals we'll take a preview of this here your western conference champion golden state warriors against your eastern conference champion boston celtics uh the golden state warriors they have been a mainstay here in the nba finals recently this is their sixth nba finals appearance in the last eight seasons which is outrageous uh they are looking to win their fourth title since 2015 and their road to get to the NBA finals included series victories over the Denver Nuggets in five games the Memphis Grizzlies in six games and the Dallas Mavericks in five games all right they've only played 16 games between three series Uh, haven't really had to sweat in any of those series Uh, they come into the NBA finals with a perfect 9-0 record at home so far at the Chase Center this this postseason, so uh, it's you know if they can they can continue to play well at home, uh, they will certainly be in good shape. And now on the Boston Celtics side of things, this is their 22nd NBA Finals appearance in franchise history, but it's their first NBA Finals appearance in the last 12 years. Now that seems odd because uh, this Boston Celtics have played in the Eastern Conference Finals four of the past six seasons, all right? But this is their first NBA Finals appearance in the last 12 years. Uh, Their road to get here included series victories over the Brooklyn Nets in four games, Milwaukee Bucks, the defending NBA champions, in seven games, and then the Miami Heat in seven games, all right? So they've played... uh, 18 games to get here, two game sevens, all right, and uh, in doing so, in getting to this NBA Finals, beating those opponents that they have, the Nets, the Bucks, and the Heat, uh, the Celtics eliminated each of the teams that have knocked them out of the last three postseasons, all right, so that's pretty interesting there. Uh, Boston comes into this series 23-7 and in their last 30 road games, regular season and playoffs, so um they are certainly a team to be reckoned with on the road, which clashes with you know Golden State's nine and zero record at home this postseason. So something's got to give there. Um, Boston has also held an opponent under ninety points four times this postseason, which is the most in the NBA this postseason. So uh, this is going to be a battle of defenses. All right. Um, As far as experience goes, nobody on the Boston Celtics roster for this NBA Finals has a single game of NBA Finals experience. 
However, the Golden State Warriors have a combined 123 games of NBA Finals experience. So a vast difference. The Warriors have been there. They've done that. Uh, they're they're battle-tested, whereas the Boston Celtics come into this thing with no NBA Finals experience at all. All right, I mentioned defense a second ago. These were the two best defensive teams in the NBA this season. All right, Boston, uh, in the regular season, they had a defensive rating of 106.2, which was the best in the league. Golden State had the second best defensive rating in the league with 105.2 or 105.1. So, um, very good defenses, elite defenses on both sides. This is actually the first NBA Finals since 1996 to feature the regular season's top two teams in defensive efficiency. Uh, they say defense wins championships, and apparently it is going to win one of them a championship this year. Uh, Boston Celtics forward Marcus Smart was named the NBA's Defensive Player of the Year this year, uh, so that certainly coincides with uh, with the elite defense that the Celtics uh, put out there. Uh, So battle of elite defenses here. This one's going to come down to which defense can make more stops. All right. You also have guys on both sides that can score. Uh, Jason Tatum can drop anywhere between 25 and 50 on you any night. Same with Steph Curry for the Warriors. Klay Thompson. Uh, Jordan Poole has been looking really good this postseason. Uh, He can give you 25 or 30. Uh, on back on the Boston side, Jalen Brown, he can go for 25. Uh, this is, you know, whoever can make more stops uh, is going to win this series. That sounds very elementary, but uh, not only are these two teams good defensively, but they're very good offensively as well, especially on the Golden State side with their ability to shoot and knock down threes uh, pretty much at will. All right, so if Boston can at least contest or um, – challenge Golden State's three-point shooting, uh, they probably will have some success. Uh, now, ESPN, their Basketball Power Index, or BPI, uh, gives the Boston Celtics an 86% chance to win this series, and Golden State only a 14% chance to win this series. Now, I don't know what all f- the factors are that factor into that BPI. Um, I'm not shocked to see Boston uh, be picked from the BPI as far as their better chance to win. I'm just shocked that it's that big of a difference, 86 to 14 in terms of percentage, all right? Um, Boston is a two-seed in the East, Golden State is a three-seed in the West, uh, but Golden State had a better record, so they have home court advantage in this thing. Um, Yeah, I, you know, I... I'm going to take the Golden State Warriors to win in seven games. That's my official prediction. Golden State in seven. Uh, As of this recording, there have not been any games played in this series. So give me Golden State in seven. I wouldn't be shocked if Boston won. Again, they had the best defense in the league, and, uh, you know, that's that's going to probably show up at some point in this series. So, uh, But I just like the veteran presence of, of the Golden State trio of of Curry, Thompson, and Green that have all been here. Uh, they've done that. They have several trophies already. And uh, I think this is, uh, you know, uh, another another year that Golden State wins. Now, if, if Golden State does win, that, that would give Steph Curry four 
NBA championship trophies, which would actually match LeBron James. Uh, so pretty interesting stat there. But uh, give me the Golden State Warriors to win in seven games. Um, we'll check back in next week. Certainly uh, series, I'm assuming, won't be over by next week since it's not starting until, I believe, Thursday this week. So uh, probably by the time you listen to this, there may have been one or two games played already. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we'll check back in next week and see how the first few games of this series have gone down. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball, do a standings update here in the MLB. Most teams have played between 48 to 52 games or so, so we're we're about a third of the way through the season still. A um, little bit of movement in the standings. Uh, some division leads have gotten a little bigger since the last time we uh, spoke on last week's episode, but <clears throat> we'll start off in the National League. The National League East, the New York Mets, uh, they still they're up top in that division, thirty five and seventeen. Uh, they've won six in a row, eight out of their last ten. They're doing all of this without um, uh, Max Scherzer uh, and Jacob Degrom, who are both hurt. Uh, but they have a ten and a half game lead on the Atlanta Braves. That's just insane right now. Atlanta's twenty four and twenty seven. Philadelphia Phillies uh, twenty two and twenty nine. They're twelve and a half games back as it sits. Uh, the Miami Marlins, they're 20 and 28, 13 games back. Their pitcher, Sandy Alcantara, uh, this past week he had a game in which he threw 14 strikeouts in eight innings, which is the most strikeouts we've seen in one game by a pitcher this season. So, very impressive outing for him. Um, Miami's still uh, ahead of Washington. Uh, the Nationals are 18 and 34. Uh, This season, it looks like it is probably over for them. Over in the National League Central, Milwaukee Brewers are 32-30. They have a two-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 29-21. Cardinals are two games back of the Brewers. They've won seven out of their last ten. Cardinals uh, third baseman, I guess first baseman, Paul Goldschmidt, he had 23 extra base hits in the month of May, which uh, that's damn near one a day if you think about it. Uh, that's a franchise record for the Cardinals for extra base hits in a month, which I can see why, because like I said, it's that's damn near one extra base hit per game. So uh, he's been playing really well. The Pittsburgh Pirates are 22-27. and 27. Uh, they're, they're eight and a half games back of the, of the Brewers, but they're third in the NL Central. Uh, they've actually looked somewhat decent this year. They actually swept the Los Angeles Dodgers this past week, which was the first time they've done that since the year 2000. So had been a hot minute since that happened. Uh, the Chicago Cubs are fourth in the NL Central at 21-29. and 29. And then the Cincinnati Reds, they are still camped out in that last place spot in the National League Central. However, as of this recording, they are no longer the team with the fewest amount of wins in baseball. It's the first episode we've done this year in which that is the case. They are 17 and 32. Uh, the Reds started the year three and 22, but then went 13 and eight in their following 21 games. And in that time frame, only the Dodgers and the Yankees had better records than the Reds during that stretch. So they have really been playing some. Uh, I guess some decent baseball. I don't know. I don't watch many Reds games, but uh, they're obviously winning a lot more than they're losing here lately, which 
uh, as why they're no longer the team with the fewest amount of wins, all right? Uh, They've also beat the Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park this past week, which was the first time that that's happened in almost five decades, all right? Cincinnati's last win uh, at Fenway Park prior to this past week was October 22nd of 1975, so uh, quite a while since they've won at Fenway. National League West, those Los Angeles Dodgers are up top there at 33-17. and 17. They have a three-game lead on the San Diego Padres, who are 30-20. and 20. Now, speaking of the Padres, remember, they signed uh, Robinson Cano uh, off of waivers. Well, that experiment looks like it's going to be over. Uh, he's played in 11 games. He's hitting 0.94 as a batting average, which uh, is absolutely horrendous. So uh, Cano is probably on his way out of San Diego. The San Francisco Giants are third in the NL West at 27-22. and 22. They're five and a half games back of the Dodgers. All right, so there's a little separation there. Um, Arizona Diamondbacks are 25-27. and 27. Colorado Rockies 23-27. and 27. Those teams are nine and ten games back of the Dodgers. I would assume... I've mentioned this before, but the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants, those will be your teams duking it out for uh, that division lead plus some wild card spots. So um, moving over to the American League, the American League East, all right, uh, this is the New York Yankees division, has been all year. They're 34 and 15. They have a five-game lead on the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, the Blue Jays are 29-20. and 20. They have now passed the Tampa Bay Rays. Blue Jays have won seven games in a row, eight out of their last ten. This is the Blue Jays team that I predicted we would see this year, all right? And so Toronto is finally bringing it around. Uh, they are five games back of the Yankees. Tampa Bay is five and a half games back of the Yankees, so they're right there, too. They're 29-21. and 21. Boston Red Sox are 24 and 27. Uh, they're still quite a few games. They're 11 games back of the Yankees. So uh, unless Boston starts doing some consistent winning, we're not going to see uh, that Boston New York rivalry down the stretch. And then the Baltimore Orioles, they're 22 and 30. All right. Now I just saw this interesting stat: the Orioles have 22 wins. All right, and so too do the Philadelphia Phillies. Now I compare. Those two teams uh, specifically because uh, Baltimore's payroll is one of the fewest in the league at $45 million for their entire payroll. Philadelphia's payroll is $232 million. So, uh, like, I'm not good at math, but that's like more than quadruple what. what the uh, Orioles payroll is and they have the same amount of wins 50 games into the year. So that's that's pretty impressive there. Baltimore's Baltimore's done all right. <clears throat> In fact, well I was going to say they're the only division with all teams having more than 20 wins, but uh there's a couple others, but nonetheless, uh Baltimore's still very much um in the thick of of not being the last team in that division for the first time in probably forever. Uh, over in the American League Central, Minnesota Twins are 30-22. and 22. They have a five-game lead on the Chicago White Sox, who are 23-25. and 25. The White Sox have designated starting pitcher Dallas Keuchel for assignment, so he uh, will no longer be on the White Sox. 
Cleveland Guardians are 22 and 24. They're also five games back of the Twins. Jose Ramirez just continues to mash. Uh, he was the first player in the MLB this year to get 50 RBIs. Uh, it seems like that dude has at least a home run or two or three RBIs every single night. Uh, he's probably one of the top five, top three players in this league. Uh, the Detroit Tigers are 20 and 30. They're nine games back of the Twins, and the Kansas City Royals are 16 and 33. They are, uh, by record, they are the worst team in the entire league with 16 wins. Now that Cincinnati has passed them, uh, over in the American League West, the Houston Astros are 33 and 18. Uh, they've won four in a row. They have a five and a half game lead on the Los Angeles Angels. All right, Angels are 27 and 23. They've lost six games in a row, though, the Angels have. Uh, how about this one? My Texas Rangers are third in the AL West. They're 24-25, and 25, eight games back of the Astros. But most impressive, in the month of May, they went 17-10, and 10, uh, which is fourth best in the league uh, for the month of May. So they've really turned it on. They actually hit 500 the other night. Uh, at 24 and 24, but then they lost the following night to Tampa to put them at 24 and 25. But they are a decent team. Martin Perez leads the major leagues, entire league, uh, with an ERA of sub 1-6. So uh, he's been balling this year. Uh, this team is actually really fun to watch. I've been saying that they are watchable, but they're more than watchable now. They're actually competitive. Uh, they they can score runs. Their the run diff is now uh, in the green instead of the red. So uh, the Rangers are looking pretty solid. Um, I'm not ready to say that they're a playoff team quite yet, but um, I certainly think they're heading in the right direction. Uh, so too are the Seattle Mariners. Finally have crawled out of last place there in the AL West. They're 21 and 29. They're 11 and a half games back of the Astros. Uh, Mariners got to do some winning. Robbie Ray has been a complete flop there in Seattle. He's four and six so far this year as a starting pitcher, uh, which is just uh, horrid considering he won the AL Cy Young last year. Uh, the Oakland A's are last in the AL West at 20 and 33. Uh, nobody expected them to do anything considering they had a complete fire sale uh, of players before the, the season started. So um, that's your standings update in the MLB. Um, Lots of baseball left to be played, uh, but as always, next week we'll have plenty of news and info that we'll, that we'll get you caught up on uh, on next week's episode. But we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, we have a pretty good assortment of information for you uh, this week's episode, starting off in the National Football League. One notable free agent signing that took place this last week was defensive tackle Akeem Hicks a veteran in the league. I believe he's made a Pro Bowl uh, in his career. He's signed a one-year $10 million deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, so he, uh, that defensive front is already stacked. You got Vita Vea, former uh, 14th overall pick, I believe, a few years ago, and then second-round pick this year, Logan Hall. So Hicks will fit right in there, and uh, that'll be a pretty formidable uh, front defensive tackle group there for the Buccaneers. Uh, some other NFL news. The district attorney's office in Arapahoe County, Colorado, has moved to dismiss all charges against Denver Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy. All right, remember, he got arrested, I think it was about three weeks ago, 
for some kind of family violence related issue. Uh, they have moved to dismiss those charges. Uh, Jerry Judy's attorney came out with a quote, said, after reviewing the evidence, I always believed that no crime had been committed and that all charges would be dismissed. Well, he was correct because that's what's happening. Uh, Judy might still be subject to the NFL's personal conduct policy. Uh, the fact that the criminal charges are dismissed may help him avoid a suspension or may keep a suspension to possibly a game or two, but uh, I don't believe Jerry Judy is going to be uh, suspended, certainly because he doesn't play on the Dallas Cowboys. Otherwise, he would probably be suspended all year. Uh, last piece of NFL news, we are officially inside the 100-day mark until the start of the NFL season. All right, uh, Thursday, September 8th is the uh, opening night kickoff between the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, this past week, uh, I believe it was potentially Monday or Tuesday of this past week, we'll, we'll say Monday, was the 100-day mark. So we're inside of 100 days till the NFL season. Still uh, have some OTAs that we're working through. And, uh, of course, training camp begins in uh, late July, early August. And, of course, the Hall of Fame game would be mid-August. So uh, lots to get going here with in the NFL. Over in the National Hockey League, I came across this stat regarding playoff viewership thus far. Basically, uh, the NHL postseason through the first two rounds has been the most watched NHL playoffs in history, which uh, TNT has picked up some coverage this year. Uh, in conjunction with ESPN. Now, ESPN held a lot of regular season broadcasts. This was the first year that the NHL, out of like the last decade, that the NHL's moved away from NBC uh, and the NBC Sports Network. It was strictly on uh, ESPN this year. Um, and so both of those did very well. TNT has seen an average of about 1.76 million viewers per game. ESPN 1.48 million viewers per game and out of those numbers about 11% are individuals who are new quote new to watching NHL playoff hockey now I don't know how they determine that but that's about 150,000 new viewers per game which is good I mean the NHL being on ESPN uh, certainly more uh, available a lot of people watch ESPN or the network of ESPN uh, all the NHL games this past year were on ESPN Plus. So if you had ESPN Plus, you could have watched pretty much any out-of-market game you wanted, which I did quite a bit. So um, it's just good uh, you know, to see the NHL do well uh, viewership-wise because it goes on at the same time as the NBA playoffs, and their numbers have rivaled the NBA so far this, this postseason. Uh, and those numbers that I just read uh, trump any recorded data from any previous first two rounds in NHL playoff history. So that is how they know that this is the most watched playoff so far through the first two rounds. And, you know, the conference finals are both good matchups, especially there in the Western Conference with all those stars that I talked about earlier. Uh, that that should certainly draw, continue to draw uh, quite a bit of viewership. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, they have officially named Martin St. Louis their new head coach. Uh, St. Louis had been hired on an interim basis last year in February, earlier this year in February, after they fired Dominique Ducharme. All right, Martin St. Louis led Montreal to a 14 and 19 record uh, for the last, uh, you know, 38 games of the season, which was uh, a vast improvement from what their record was uh, before that. Um, and he also helped turn around a few of their younger players such as uh, highly touted rookie Cole Caulfield. All right, Caulfield ended up having 35 points in 36 games 
after Martin St. Louis took over the coaching duty. So uh, certainly headed in the right direction for Montreal. This was a year after they um, had made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, you know, in 2020 uh, season there, uh, the, the season in between the bubble and this year. So um, they finished like last in the league, I think, but they're headed in the right direction. Uh, Martin St. Louis is the 32nd head coach in Montreal Canadiens franchise history, and uh, he signed a three-year extension through the 2024-2025 season. Last piece of NHL news, we had a retirement this past week. Uh, longtime NHL forward Jason Spezza announced that he is retiring from the NHL after 19 seasons. He was the number two overall pick back in 2001 by the Ottawa Senators. He played in uh, almost uh, 1,250 NHL games for the Senators, the Dallas Stars, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he amassed just under 1,000 career points. Uh, Made the All-Star game two times. Never won a Stanley Cup. Uh, Do not believe that's enough. That resume is enough to get him into the NHL Hall of Fame. In fact, I would almost guarantee it's not. Uh, But he is from the Toronto area. Finished his career with the Maple Leafs, and he is actually moving into the Toronto Maple Leafs front office to serve as a special assistant or an advisor to Maple Leafs general manager Kyle Dubas. So, a uh, pretty cool role for him. Over in the NBA, uh, I came across this stat. Uh, it has to do with the playoffs. Didn't really fit it in, um, you know, in the earlier playoffs segment, just because it deals with Luka Doncic, uh, Dallas Mavericks, um, all. All-NBA point guard Luka Doncic. He's only 23 years old, and he has already faced as many All-NBA first and second team players in three playoff runs as LeBron James did during his eight straight uh, NBA Finals runs in the Eastern Conference with the Cavaliers and the Heat. So that really kind of puts things in perspective about how much better the Western Conference in the NBA is uh, in comparison to the Eastern Conference, or at least over the last decade, that Luke Doncic has already faced as many first and second team All NBA players as in three playoff runs as LeBron did in eight, uh, eight straight Finals runs. So um, the fact that Luca has been able to perform in the playoffs at the elite level that he has also clearly shows that he is definitely one of the best players in the game right now. Uh, we talked about that last week. Uh, Some other NBA news. New Orleans Pelicans guard C.J. McCollum. He has agreed to a deal with ESPN to become a studio analyst for their NBA coverage. Now, he's making his debut during the NBA Finals uh, over this next couple of weeks, uh, which is interesting because he's still an active player in the NBA on the Pelicans. Uh, He had come out and said he wants to stay in New Orleans. He loves it there. He had just gotten traded there at the trade deadline from Portland, uh, but he loves it. New Orleans. New Orleans made the play-in tournament. Uh, but did not advance uh, in the playoffs. But uh, he is going to at least uh, begin somewhat of a career as a studio analyst. I'm sure that will subside once the uh, NBA season kicks off. But at least for the uh, remainder of the playoffs, uh, you will see C.J. McCollum on ESPN as an analyst. Now, we'll close out the Around the Island segment in the PGA Tour. And um, pretty, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show there's uh, – couple of PGA Tour events. One was the Charles Schwab Challenge. The second one, uh, to recap, uh, happened this past Wednesday. It was Capital One's The Match. Now, we've seen several renditions of The Match 
uh, you know, with Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, you know, uh, Tiger Woods getting paired with Tom Brady, uh, DeChambeau uh, and Kepka, they did a match. So it's this, you know, basically one-on-one or 2v2 team format. Pretty cool. Well, it came back this week, uh, this past Wednesday, uh, we saw a battle of elite NFL quarterbacks on the golf course. All right, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers teamed up to face Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. All right, so it was 2v2, the old guys versus the young guys. This uh, match was 12 holes, and it was at the Wynn Golf Resort in Las Vegas. All right, and uh, it was televised on uh, TNT. Uh, I did watch it, most of it. Uh, it was very entertaining. Um, you know, the old guys, Brady and Rogers, they they were two up after two holes. They took the first two holes. Mahomes and Allen answered uh, by winning the third hole. Uh, they have the fourth. Mahomes and Allen won the fifth uh, the, so to tie it, uh, all square through five. And then uh, they halved uh, six and seven. Mahomes and Allen won hole eight to go up one. And then they halved nine. Uh, Brady and Rodgers won hole ten to make things all square through ten. They halved the 11th hole. And then on hole 12, it was a par three. It was playing about 170 yards, big old waterfall in the background, uh, water on the left, and uh, Aaron Rodgers hit a phenomenal tee shot to put this thing within about 10 feet, and uh, he actually ended up making that putt. Uh, Josh Allen missed like a probably a 50-foot putt by an inch uh, that would have tied that, but uh, nonetheless, Brady and Rodgers won the 12th hole to win one up. All right, uh, Brady and Rodgers won a total of four holes. Mahomes and Allen won a total of three holes. And it was just fun to watch. Um, you know, Tom Brady was probably the best golfer out of the four, uh, followed by Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Um, Rodgers was certainly the best putter. That dude can putt the golf ball. Uh, no joke. He is, he is pretty spectacular at putting. Uh, Josh Allen looked most closely similar to... Uh, you know, you or me playing, but uh, he still made some good shots and had a good time, and it was fun to see those guys. Mahomes was going about a beer a hole for the first four or five holes. Uh, they asked him about it. Uh, it was funny, but, um, you know, Tom Brady had the hat backwards, got serious, and uh, it was just fun to watch. It was good TV, you know, to see those guys out there kind of relaxed. Uh, you know, Brady and Rodgers were teammates in this thing, but they're going to be fighting for that NFC crown this year. And uh, Mahomes and Allen, obviously fresh off of that phenomenal uh, AFC playoff game that went into overtime and the whole coin toss debacle um, when Mahomes beat Allen. Uh, you know, it was just cool to see these guys kind of relaxed. They, uh, I saw, you know, the, the interview, they aired after the match ended, uh, but the interview had taken place obviously before the match with all four. Ernie Johnson interviewed all four of them, like, sitting together and, asked them some pretty cool questions and they talked football and you know it, it was just it was a cool thing to see especially for as big of a football fan as I am and golf fan uh, it was cool to kind of see those two things merge together but uh, nonetheless it was uh, it was some pretty good uh, entertainment but uh, that's going to wrap up the 78th episode of Sports Island uh, lots of playoff action this weekend the NBA finals are getting started here uh, the NHL's conference finals are underway uh, lots of elite talent uh, in both of those leagues getting uh, showcased this weekend. And then on the PGA Tour, uh, the Memorial Tournament 
uh, fun course, uh, good field, lots to watch there. And of course, uh, baseball will always uh, be there for us over the weekend as well. So I know um, I'll be tuned into pretty much all of it this weekend. And uh, we'll check back in next week and see where, uh, where we're at with all of that stuff. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.